beautiful things. What do you envy? Last week, I envied Mark Witte's height. Many of you asked me, how tall is Mark? He's six foot eight. And all weekend long, I thought to myself, I'm five foot four, he's six foot eight. If God would just shave eight inches off of him, he could make both of us six feet tall. I battled envy being around him. You can battle not only someone's height, but you can battle their intellect, how intelligent they are, or their good looks. Or sometimes we have envy about one another's homes. Jennifer and I battled envy with one of our neighbors this week. I didn't even know there was a beautification award in Bartow, but apparently there is. And one of our neighbors was given the beautification award because his house looks like Mr. Miyagi's dojo palace. Jennifer and I thought, you know, last year we pressure washed our driveway. We didn't get a beautification award. <laughs> so we battled envy this week. If you're on social media, you can battle envy during this time of the summer. I mean, you may enjoy a mini vacation, an M-I-N-I, miniature vacation, but maybe your friends and relatives are enjoying mini vacations, M-A-N-Y. And you think to yourself, I'm glad you're going to go snorkeling in the Bahamas this week because it was only last week you were snow skiing in Aspen, Colorado, and so I hope you can enjoy that. We have many, many different ways we can envy one another. And it hurts us most when we begin to envy those that are closest to us, right? Maybe you have a a sibling that makes the the cheerleading squad and you don't. Or you have a, a best friend that makes a football team and you don't. Or maybe you have a coworker that finally gets a promotion or a raise, and you don't. There are many different ways that envy can infiltrate our lives and sneak through the window of our souls and latch onto us, that green-eyed monster, and not let us go. There's a temptation for even godly people to envy the wrong people. Envy isn't always a bad thing. It's, it's, it's good to want to be more godly like some other people are godly. Some of you, uh, as I get to know you better, I want to be more like you because I know if I become more like you, I'm going to become more like Jesus. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But in this, these passages of Scripture, we have a warning from, from God in His Word, particularly in chapter 24, to not be envious of evil men nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. We need to be careful because there's a tendency, the longer you serve Jesus, that you can begin to envy those that are not walking with Christ for this reason, that it seems like they always get the break. They always get the shortcut to perhaps in prosperity, or they get the shortcuts to success, and sometimes it feels like that the right road is the long road, and that the right road is never the easy road, but rather it's, it's filled with temptation, it's filled with setbacks, it's filled with frustrations. And so this morning I want us to take a look at this deadly sin of envy by answering two questions. And the first question is this, why is envy so deadly? Why is envy so deadly? Well, there are two reasons why envy is so deadly revealed in these 
these verses we're taking a look at. The first reason why envy is so deadly is that envy leads to internal decay in your heart. Look at chapter 14, verse 30. It says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Now, most of our bones we can't see, but they're there, correct? In other words, this proverb is saying that envy is one of those sins that leads to internal death because it rots us from the inside out. It latches onto our desires, onto our plans, onto our aspirations, and it begins to decay our soul. That's why Roland Murphy says... Jealousy eats away at a person. It can destroy one's mental, emotional, and physical health. Envy leads to internal decay. It causes our bones to rot, not physically, but metaphorically. Before Elsa was approaching us, many of you called me to try to calm my heart about the storm. I appreciate that. And um, you assured me it's not the, the fact that the wind is blowing, it's what the wind may blow at you that you need to be worried about. But most of you called me and said, hey, Pastor Tanner, the problem you have to be concerned about most is the fact that Bartow's the city of oaks. And oak trees don't always have, uh, they usually have shallow roots, and so they can after the, the ground has been saturated, when the wind hits them, they can tip over and they might hit your house, which is the thing to be most concerned about. And then several of you said, and, and the biggest fear is that you may not know that there's an oak tree surrounding you that is rotting from the inside out. That down the core of the tree, it's rotten. And after the tree falls, you begin to see that it's actually hollow inside. That's precisely what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us this morning about envy. That's what envy does to your heart. That's what envy does to your soul. It rots you from the inside out. It decays your soul. That's the first reason why envy is so deadly. The second reason why envy is so deadly is that it can lead to eternal damnation. Look at verse 19 and 20 of chapter 24. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. There are two justices, uh, there are two warnings in, this, in these two verses. The first one is, to do not fret not yourself. Don't be, don't be flustered. Don't be envious of the wicked. Why? Because they have no future. How so? In two ways. In the temporal way, those that are wicked, eventually they will be found out and they will be punished. But more importantly, in terms of eternity, God is the all-knowing judge and they will not escape his just judgment and wrath for their sin. So the reason why envy can lead to eternal damnation is that if we envy those that are wicked and begin following their path and following their shortcuts to success and prosperity in life, it can lead to our damnation. 
Josh Kitchen says this, that the lamp in this verse is a metaphor for life. And the idea of this lamp being snuffed out refers to the inevitable, hopeless death of an evil person. It refers to their eternal damnation with God. Let's just take a stroll down the corridor of redemptive history this morning and take a look at some of the ways that envy has caused all kinds of trouble in God's covenant community. Take a look at Adam and Eve's family, the first family in the history of the world. Where did the green-eyed monster of envy, envy rear its ugly head first? We see it in the relationship between the siblings of Cain and Abel, don't we? That Cain envies his brother's relationship with God. He envies how God has accepted wonderfully his brother's sacrifice. And as Mark Whitty highlighted last week, oftentimes envy is the root of wrath. And so what resulted as a result, what, what happened as a result of Cain's envy of Abel is that Cain killed his brother, Abel. They go on. Before Jacob even makes his way out of the womb, he's beginning to envy Esau's birthright. That's why as they're coming out of their mother's womb, Jacob is grabbing his brother's heel. And eventually he will trick his brother out of his birthright. We see all kinds of complications resulting in their sibling relationship as a result of that. Going just a little bit further in redemptive history and we see Joseph has this dream. And Joseph's brothers realize what the dream means that eventually... All of them will bow down to Joseph. That although Joseph is the youngest brother and he has no need to be the greatest among the brothers, they know exactly what the dream means, that eventually all of them will bow down to Joseph, their younger brother. And so out of envy for his future success, they sell him into slavery. Going just a little bit further, and we see Israel's first king is Saul. Saul has many successful war uh, efforts but then the green-eyed monster of envy leaps on Saul why because David comes along and as King Saul hears this song being sung envy begins to eat away as his soul because Saul hears the people of Israel singing this song Saul has killed his thousands but David has killed his tens of thousands and the green-eyed monster of envy rots away Saul's soul. And eventually Saul's eternally condemned because his envy of David drives him further and further away from God. Eventually to witchcraft. And then we see the first king of the northern kingdom when Israel divides into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom is Judah. It happens around 931-930 B.C. What's significant is the fact that in Judah, in the southern kingdom, is Jerusalem. And what's in Jerusalem? The temple. Why is the temple important? Because that's where God's people go to worship God. And Jeroboam is scared as the first king of the northern kingdom because he's afraid 
that as the people begin to make their way into the southern kingdom to worship God at the temple, that perhaps they will remember the days when the kingdoms were united and suddenly he would lose his position as king. And so out of fear of potential envy, Jeroboam sets up high places in the northern kingdom as a result of Jeroboam's decision out of fear of envy, Every king that follows in the northern kingdom is, dis, is, a, is disobedient and is a heretic in the eyes of God. And what's the result of it all? What's the root of it all, rather? Envy. Not only were these individuals' souls suffered because of envy, but many souls suffered for the future because of envy. How many of you have ever seen the, the 1984 movie uh, Amadeus? Okay, a few of us. In 1984, uh, a movie was made about Amadeus Mozart. And so the whole movie is written from Salieri's perspective and his jealousy of Amadeus. In fact, there's a famous line in it where he says, Salieri says about Mozart, he was my idol, Mozart. I can't think of a time when I didn't know his name. I was still playing childish games and he was playing music for kings and emperors, even the Pope in Rome. I admit I was jealous. Friends, today will you admit that you're jealous? Who are you jealous of today? What do you envy? Is it someone else's spouse? Man, I wish my husband could be a handyman like like hers. He can fix anything. Or maybe you think, man, I, I wish my wife would go fishing with me. Like his wife goes fishing with him. What do you envy? And will you repent of it today? The joy of all these Proverbs is this, is that our Lord Jesus listened to them. Because as our Lord Jesus followed God's word and God's will and God's way, There were many opportunities when our Lord Jesus could have been envious of those who were taking shortcuts. But our Lord Jesus, as the light of the world, knew that though his light would be extinguished for only three days, he would be resurrected and his light would shine for the rest of eternity. And so in wisdom... Our Lord Jesus did not envy those around him, but he contented himself in his relationship with his heavenly Father, that I and the Father are one. That's the first question I want us to answer this morning is, why is envy so deadly? For two reasons. It rots you on the inside, it causes internal internal decay, and it leads to eternal damnation if it's not repented of. The second question I want us to answer today is, how do you battle envy? How do you battle envy? Well, there are two truths that I think we need to cling to if we're going to battle envy. 
And the first truth is the doctrine of creation. It's God's design of you. Psalm 139 says this for you. He says this, the Psalm of David, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. As a short guy, I rejoice in this psalm. Do you know why? King Saul was chosen to be the leader of God's people because he was head and shoulders above, taller above everyone else in the kingdom. But the word of God says that David was God's choice for Israel's king. And it had David's choice, David was God's choice. It had nothing to do with David's height, but it had everything to do with David's heart. As you remember, as Samuel goes to David's family, he, he looks over all of David's brothers, and he, the Lord does not tell him that any of those individuals are the next king of Israel. In fact, even David's own brothers and David's own father forgot about David because he's just a little shepherd boy out with the sheep. But David is knitted together, created in the image of God for God's glory, exactly as God designed him. So sometimes God does prefer the short guy. I like that. I like that reality. What's the application for you? Don't waste your life envying other people's talents and gifts and abilities. God designed you to be you for a reason. Embrace that. Every church I've served and every church I've been a member, I've always had people make fun of me for my height or lack thereof. And I love it. Because those that know me and love me and get to know me know I enjoy the banter back and forth. Enjoy God's design of you. God created you with your unique personality, with your unique gifts, your unique abilities for a reason, for his glory. Embrace it. Don't resent it. When God looked at you, he saw what he made. And just as he said in Genesis 1.31, he said again when he looked at you, he looked at what he made and he said, it is very good. How do we battle envy? we got to cling to the truth of creation. we got to cling to God's design of ourselves. And then we got to cling to the doctrine of redemption, which is God's will for you. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's Paul saying? He's saying your contentment is found in your relationship with God as your creator and as your redeemer. People don't love you, doesn't matter. God's love for you can never be changed, will never dissolve, can never be de declined or deleted whatsoever. 
He's saying, if you want to cling to the truth of redemption, that will help you battle envy. Because your contentment is found in your relationship with Christ. It's not about what you have, but it's about to whom you belong. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4. I've learned the secret to being content, he says. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's Paul saying? This is how you battle envy. As Paul sat in prison, and he could have been frustrated at the other missionaries that were free from chains, spreading the gospel, he found his contentment in his relationship with Christ. That God would give him the strength he needed to persevere in that season of life. How do you battle envy? You embrace who God designed you to be. You embrace God's will for your life. And you cling to the truths of God's creation of you and God's redemption of you through Christ. There's a story told about Lord Congleton. Barnhouse told this story a number of years ago. But Lord Congleton overheard one day one of his servants talking in the kitchen. He overheard one of his servants say, If I only had five pounds, I would be perfectly content. Lord Congleton thought to himself, I've never seen somebody with an expression on their face of total contentment. So he thought to himself, this is perfectly worth me giving someone five pounds, which at that time was worth about $25. He thought to himself, you know, it's worth $25 to see the look of total contentment on someone's face. So Lord Congleton walked into the kitchen, he smiled at the servant, he said, I have a gift for you. And he handed the servant five pounds. And then he snuck out of the kitchen, and as the door closed, he listened to see what she would say. Because he couldn't wait to hear the words of someone that was perfectly content. But do you know what she said? Well, if I had known he was going to give me five pounds that easily, I would have asked for ten pounds. It's not about what you have. It's about to whom you belong. You find your contentment in Christ. That's why Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Otherwise, you will die from envy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that your Son and our Savior did not consider equality with you something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He submitted himself to your plan of redemption, to your will. Father, as we wrestle with situations and circumstances in our life, I pray that we would be mindful of our Savior's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. As his heart was conflicted, as he battled 
the battle of his heart. That he knew the suffering that was before him, that he didn't want to have to do it. And so he prayed, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to learn how to find our contentment in you. We can enjoy the satisfaction of home improvements, projects being accomplished, a good week of work, an attaboy or an girl from even our, our boss or our co-worker. There's nothing wrong in that. But help us to learn how to find our long-term satisfaction and our long-term contentment and our relationship with you. Because no one or nothing can ever take that away from us. Lord, I pray that if there be anyone among us that has never known that contentment in Christ, that you would stir their heart today, that you draw them to you, that they would seek you and they would seek out me or seek out one of the elders or their friends here at the church. We pray that your spirit would, know, would move in them so that they might know long-term contentment because they've received a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray and all of God's people agree to say, amen. Let's respond to